0: I ask you to turn in God's Word to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 4, and it's found on page 1,156 of the Pew Bible. So Mark chapter 4, we're going to read verses 21 to 34. Listen, this is God's Word. Also he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor anything being kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear with the same measure you use. It will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has to him, more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself First the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown... It grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Well Earlier this week, President Zelensky of Ukraine spoke to the Irish Parliament, and he was describing the brutality of the Russian invasion, and he was pleading on Ireland to show more leadership in anti-war coalition to convince other EU partners to introduce even more rigid sanctions against Russia to stop the Russian war machine. And what is impressive about Zelensky is how he has spoken to governments across this world, to the EU, to the UN. Each time he receives a standing ovation. Even tonight he's speaking on CBS's 60 Minutes. And in his speeches, he urges governments to do more. And he's very good at connecting to national events and comparing them to Ukraine. So in speaking to the U.S. Congress, He makes reference to 9-11. In Britain, he made reference to the Blitz. In Japan, he spoke of impending nuclear disaster. He's certainly winning the information war, seeking to win public opinion. Too often in the media, wars like this one can soon peel into the background. He will not let people forget, and he wants to make sure people are aware Of the atrocities that the Ukrainian people are facing. Imagine that you had the opportunity to speak to parliaments across this world. Well what would your message be? What is the most important thing that you think that they need to hear about? Would you speak of the benefits of free market forces or the dangers of large multinational companies? Would you speak on the need for everyone to have a basic education? Or do you believe it's the environment? That's the most pressing issue of the day. And speak of encouraging legislation to limit the destruction of the rainforest. Is it the need to remove nuclear weapons and encourage peace? Or would you say that the most important thing that this world needs to hear is the message of Jesus Christ? How convinced are you that for God's kingdom to grow in this world, that you need to be speaking the gospel into people's lives? What we have here in our passage this morning is a description of Christ's kingdom and how it grows by the hearing of God's word. It is by the Christian speaking the gospel into people's lives. It's so simple, and yet why is a kingdom so small? Why does it seem so irrelevant? Too often we question this method, and we even give up on it, and we look for other methods. And so I want you to notice you're not to grow discouraged. Christ's kingdom is growing, and one day it will be unveiled for all to see. Meantime, you are to faithfully sow the seed so that Christ opens deaf ears. So firstly, let us consider you are to declare Christ, but not everyone will see him. Verses 21 to 23. So in our passage, Jesus uses many parables in speaking to the crowd. And in this first parable, we read of Jesus using humor. When you light a lamp, do you put it under a basket? Do you put it under a bed? No, that would be foolishness, even dangerous. These are oil lamps. No, you put the lamp on a lampstand. That way, the light will shine into every corner of the room, enabling you to see more clearly. It's pretty basic. Well, Jesus describes himself as the light. And elsewhere, John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And So Jesus Christ is the one you are to declare. Only in him is there life. And as we've been singing in this psalm of the month, do not put your trust in princes, whoever that might be. It might be a politician, might be a spiritual leader, might even be a family member. No, your trust is to be in Christ alone. The children have been memorizing the beginning of John's gospel, John 1, and John 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of man." The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That's interesting. The light is shining, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In the morning when we wake up, we don't normally switch on the main light in our room. It's too bright. It's disorientating. Instead, we switch on the smaller lights in the room that are not so bright Well, in a sense, that is like Christ. He is a light, and yet many of us cannot make sense of him. Uh, Many people find him disorientating, and there is a reason for that. There is a sense in which he is partially concealed. He is hidden. We're coming into summer, and so as a result, we need to be careful of UV light. This is hidden light that comes from the sun, And yet it does terrible damage to our skin. And those with Celtic genes among us, we need to be very careful about our skin being damaged. But in a sense, Jesus is a hidden light. He comes from obscure beginnings. He's not outwardly impressive. His teaching, it can be cryptic. He speaks in parables. And the result is that there are those who see him, but they don't recognize him for who he is. But then there are others who do see him, who do know him. Jesus tells us that there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed. There is nothing kept secret that will not come to light. So in the end, the truth will come out. And so while Jesus is partially concealed now, later he will be revealed for all to see. And this will happen when he returns to this earth. Everyone will recognize him. He will be glorified. And the result will be every knee will bow to him. And so as you sow the seed, do not be surprised by people not recognizing Jesus as the light. Well, secondly, consider how you hear. The more active the hearer, the more you will receive. Verses 24 and 25. Jesus uses a second metaphor, another parable. He describes a measuring device. So whatever measuring device you use, it will be measured to you. This was happening last night at the dessert auction. After the auction, as people were going around asking for a slice of cake or pie, they didn't bring a small plate. No, they brought the largest plate to get the most dessert. Well, we do the same in our hearing of God's word. What measuring device do you use? If you're prepared to listen, you will hear a lot. But if you have no interest, you will hear nothing. McCoy says, if you have that hunger, God will reveal more and more of his kingdom to you. If you don't have that hunger, the kingdom will remain an unsolved mystery. So how attentive are you? Do you have ears that hear? Sometimes you hear about an upcoming exhibition or concert, maybe the Saturday night, but you're not sure if you'll go. Um, You have excuses. You're busy or you, you don't want to travel. But then afterwards, you hear people say just how good it was. And you think, if only I had listened, I should have gone. I missed out on a good evening. Well, many will be thinking that when Christ returns. There will be no doubt then that they want Christ. But it's too late. Last week, we considered the different soils. Remember, there were two types of soil where the seed initially responded. But because of its environment, whether it was rocks or thorns, the seed it died out. And Jesus applied that to those who listened to their fear of man. Or the desires of the world more than to Christ. And so the question is, who are you listening to? If you're listening to the world more than Jesus, you will reject Christ. You're more impressed with what the world has to offer than you are with the Lord. And even for believers, this is a danger we need to be aware of. Do you have ears that hear? Are you ready to listen to the word of God? What measure are you using? Did you open up your Bible this morning and think, this is the God of the universe speaking to me? Or did you think, here we go again. I hope the sermon isn't too long. If you aren't listening to Christ, you are listening to something else. and If you're not advancing in your Christian walk, Often it's because you have not tuned into God's word, but into what the world is saying. So no, you are to actively listen to the word of God. Well, thirdly, notice you're to recognize the seed grows slowly and miraculously. Verses 26 to 29. We live in the world of the instant. We enjoy instant communication on our phones. We enjoy instant food. We enjoy instant travel. We can get to anywhere in the world within a day. And as a result, we now demand and we expect instantaneous results. Well, what we have here in this passage is anything but instant. Instead, we read that growing will take time. We read of night and day. We read in verse 28 of how the stock comes first, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And so we are to realize that it takes time for people to become Christians. Rarely does it happen instantly. Now it can happen. A Damascus road experience is described to Paul's conversion and that appears to be instantaneous. But more usual it takes months and even years. And so God's kingdom progresses slowly. We need to be patient as we wait for God to work in people's lives. If you're not a Christian, and you're investigating the truths of Christianity, realize that it often takes time, time when you are reading your Bible, when you're slowly gaining more and more understanding. Don't give up. Keep persevering in your search. Continue to investigate who Jesus is and his mission on this earth and see how it is relevant to you. When uh, we were back in Belfast, we were involved in many Bible studies with people who had never studied the Bible before. Some became Christians, many did not. Well, does that mean for those who didn't become believers that the study of the Bible was a waste of time? No, for the seed is sown, and it could take many years for it to grow. And so this is very unglamorous, slow and repetitive work. There is a temptation to want to wow people into Christianity. That's why many churches have gone down the road of entertaining people, of giving people a great experience of a worship service, bringing in prominent speakers like sports celebrities or pop stars to give their testimony. This is not how the kingdom works. We are to expect it to be slow work. It also shows that Christians have the responsibility of sowing the seed. We have to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. But we do not cause the seed to grow. In verse 28 we read, All by itself. The seed grows all by itself. Wilmher says we can't make the growth happen. That is a miracle. And miracles are God's department. So remember, we can't transform people. That's not within our power. The outcome is not determined by us. And so this should give us confidence because we are trusting in God. He causes the growth. He does it in the lives of people who surprise us. The seed grows in unlikely places. And we see this in nature. There is a plant in the UK, and it's probably here in the US as well. I haven't seen it, but it's called buddleia. It's also known as butterfly bush, and that's because it's popular with butterflies. Gardeners love these plants, but they grow in places like the walls of buildings, and as a result, they cause extensive damage. They're difficult to remove. But that is the power that these plants have, that they can grow in very surprising places. Well, we likewise are sowing the seeds of the gospel in the lives of our family and our friends when we speak to them of Christ. And even the most ardent atheists, they cannot withstand the power of God within these little seeds. Rosaria Butterfield, many of whom you know, is a Reformed Presbyterian pastor's wife. And before her conversion, she described herself as a leftist lesbian professor who despised Christians. And she describes her life was happy and full and meaningful. And she writes of how God worked in her life by saying, I began researching the religious right and their politics of hatred against queers like me. To do this, I would need to read the one book that had, in my estimation, gotten so many people off track, the Bible. And I started reading the Bible, I read the way a glutton devours. I read it many times. That first year in multiple translations. At a dinner gathering, my partner and I were hosting. My friend cornered me in the kitchen. This Bible reading is changing you, Rosaria. Do you recognize the power of God's word? It's not down to us to change people. Instead, you are to be faithful in sowing the seed. And you are to share it with each other too. As Christians, you are to encourage one another in your faith. And we do that by reminding each other of the gospel, of the truth of the gospel that we rely on. We are to gently rebuke and challenge one another with God's word. We are to encourage each other by sharing how God has helped us this past week. And the outcome of this sharing, whether it's with believers or unbelievers, the outcome is determined by God. And so it's God who gets the glory. Not the sower or the hearer. Verse 29, we read of a harvest day. Christ returns when the harvest is ready. He will bring in this harvest. But in the meantime, there is this delay. It's in this time that we are to be faithful in sowing the seed. Now, when we think of transformation, Christ's next picture, her parable, helps us see just how dramatic the transformation is so. Fourthly, I want you to notice do not be discouraged by how unimpressive the growth appears, for its growth is significant. Verses 30 to 32. So, this parable talks about mustard seeds. Mustard seeds are very small seeds, they're maybe a millimeter long, nearly impossible to see. They aren't the smallest of all seeds, but they are proverbially described as the smallest of all seeds. And when you think of something as small, You think of it as being insignificant. Last night at the dessert auctions, the the desserts that got the biggest bids were not the smaller desserts. No, it was the big showstoppers, the ones with the wow factor. And Surely Jesus should have likened the kingdom to something impressive to amaze the people. Why compare it to something insignificant like a mustard seed? And this would have been shocking to his Jewish listeners. When they thought of the kingdom, they thought of the kingdom in glorious and majestic terms, like that of the reign of King David, of King Solomon. They expected the Messiah to come and bring with him a kingdom that would surpass that of the Roman Empire. But by Jesus using the mustard seed in describing his kingdom, he is describing it as unimpressive and insignificant and yet it will become impressive, and it will become significant. When Jesus came, he announced the kingdom of God is at hand. But where was it? There was no evidence of this kingdom. When Christ began his ministry, there was an initial excitement that he would be the one who would deliver them. He would be the one who would set up a Jewish kingdom. This was what the people wanted, their own kingdom to rival that of the Romans. And they were ready for that kingdom now. And yet when the people tried to make Jesus king, we read of Jesus withdrawing from the people. What was Jesus doing? How was he going to set up his kingdom? He was a nobody. He was uneducated. He was a carpenter for 30 years. When he healed people, he warned them not to share with anyone. He did not use them as publicity opportunities. His followers were a fisherman, a tax collector, a political fanatic, not people who were impressive or influential, and he ministered mainly in Galilee. After three years of ministry, he died on a cross after being betrayed by one of his followers and denied by another. Many people found his gospel, his good news, his foolishness, or even offensive. John the Baptist, the man who dedicated his life to preparing the way for Jesus to come into the world, he asked Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Even John didn't recognize the kingdom. It was all rather unimpressive, just like a mustard seed. And so for the same for the kingdom of God. Christ's kingdom looked small and weak when it began. It seemed so vulnerable. It was questionable whether it would survive or not, especially when Jesus died. Many assumed that was it over. But that was only the beginning. Many were put off by such small beginnings. Another man who was put off by a small beginning was that of Ron Wayne. I wonder if you ever heard of this gentleman. He was one of the three founders of Apple back in 1976. But after 12 days, he gave up his 10% share of the company for $2,300, thinking little of of the abilities of his younger partners. Well, that stack would be worth over $22 billion today. Wayne would have become one of the richest men in the world. But he didn't see the potential of this company. He saw it as weak, not able to survive. Now Apple is one of the biggest companies in the world. Likewise today, the kingdom of God is much greater than it was in the humble early days of the early church where 120 disciples congregated in the beginning of Acts. His greatness of the kingdom is not measured in wealth. It's not measured in the cathedrals or in church buildings or in the land the church owns. No, his greatness is measured in the number of people who belong to the King. So many, it's impossible to count. And yet, the growth of the kingdom never makes the headlines off the daily newspapers. The kingdom of God goes past unnoticed to the world that continues to look unimpressive and small. And that's how God planned it. But his kingdom is growing. People are dedicating their lives to Christ, and he is ruling over their hearts. And it's seen very simply in a conversation with a friend about Jesus, is seen in a Bible study, is seen in a worship service or at a prayer meeting. It's not earth-shattering events, but small and insignificant events. In Rosaria Butterfield's testimony, she speaks of how a pastor reached out to her. She writes of how she received a letter in response to an article that she had posted in a newspaper from the pastor of Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church, Pastor Ken Smith, and she writes it was a kind and inquiring letter. Ken encouraged her to explore questions like: How did you arrive at your interpretations? How do you know you're right? Do you believe in God? He didn't argue with her article, rather, he asked her to defend the presuppositions that undergirded her article. And Rosaria writes that she didn't know how to respond to it. So she threw it away. And later she retrieved it from the bin and responded to the dinner invitation that Ken and his wife offered. And then something unexpected happened. Ken and his wife became friends with Rosaria. They entered her world. They met her friends. They talked openly. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting to them. When they ate together, Ken's prayers impressed Rosaria in that they were intimate and vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of her, He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. Something as small and as unimpressive as a letter with a dinner invitation, and yet God used it significantly. This letter was driven by the gospel, and it's a challenge for us. No matter how small our gospel endeavors are, whether it's a prayer, whether it's a letter, whether it's a friendship, God can use that significantly. So we read of this mustard seed and of it growing into such a tree that it was big enough for birds to build their nest in it. The mustard seed tree can grow to 12 feet high. The kingdom begins insignificantly, but there is significant growth so that many people find their home in it. Wilhelm Herr says it's likely that these birds represent people from all the nations of the earth, who will be drawn into the kingdom of God. So the kingdom is growing across this world and in people's lives. And so we should find this truth encouraging. Often it seems the opposite. Especially in the West, the church looks like it's declining. But Christ's church is growing across this world in the unlikeliest of places, in the Muslim world, or in communist China. One day, Christ's kingdom will be fully revealed. It's been described like a building under renovation. The scaffolding is up. The netting is up. It certainly doesn't look impressive. But then this outer shell will be taken down. And then we will see the building in all its glory. And so likewise, the kingdom of God. And we see a picture of the completed kingdom in Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. If you're not a Christian, well, you're not part of this kingdom. If Christ is not your king, well, then these parables are a warning to you. Christ's kingdom will be supreme. Don't be put off by its ordinary beginnings. For as we have seen, the kingdom of God is significant, It covers the whole earth. So put your trust in Christ. Join this kingdom by making Christ your king. You are privileged to have the seed of the gospel sown in your life. Well, finally, let's notice, faithfully sow the seed. So Christ opens deaf ears, verses 33 and 34. Mark concludes this section by describing Jesus' teaching method of speaking in parables. But it's to the disciples that he explains all things. Yes, you're called to sow, but it is Christ that causes the growth. He is the one who makes the disciples. He is the one who transforms. And so you are called to be faithful in telling of the gospel. Telling others of the gospel is not glamorous work. It's hard, slow work. It's like a farmer sowing seeds. So I want you to consider this week, who will you speak the gospel Into whose lives will you speak the gospel to? Is it your grandchildren? Is it your work colleagues? Is it the other players in your baseball team? Is it your neighbors? We need to think how can I sow the seed when I next meet them? The temptation is to think what's the point of investing this time and energy and prayer into something like this? Is it really going to make a difference? Now remember, this is the way of the kingdom. It's by faithfully sowing the seed. Even in this church, why do we preach the gospel twice in the Lord's day? Why do we seek to apply the gospel into people's lives and bring this message to our community? Why do we keep on talking about Christ to our friends and to our family members? It's not because of tradition. It's not because we are deluded. No, we believe this is God's method. So do not grow discouraged. Christ's kingdom is growing. One day it will be unveiled for us all to see. In the meantime, you are to faithfully sow the seed, and Christ will open deaf ears. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that your kingdom is growing across this world. In some of the most unlikeliest of places, we see your work of transformation. And we pray this would continue. We pray especially for the lands like the Muslim world, uh, that you would continue to work there, that you would cause there to be much fruit. We pray you would bless those who are faithfully sowing the gospel, especially those under much danger. Uh, Lord, we pray you would help us. Too often we grow discouraged. Um, Help us, Lord, instead that we would be patient, that we would be faithful in the work you've called us to do in sowing the seed, whether it's in our family, with our friends, or in this community. And so we pray, Lord, that you would transform our community, that they would hear the gospel, and that you would open deaf ears so that they would respond to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing Psalm 126A in the blue psalm book. Psalm 126A. In this psalm, we read of the work of evangelism. We go out with the seed of God's word, and though we go out with His powerful word, we also read that we go out in tears. It's not easy work; it will be difficult, and so we need to be patient. We need to wait upon God, but there is a promise that God will use our efforts to bring in His harvest. And so, as we sing this psalm, pray that God will bring fruit from the seed. We sow into the lives of our children and our friends and our neighbors. So stand and sing Psalm 126a.